that, um, that the Lord who knit us together while we were in our mother's womb knew all of our days before there was one of them, every single day. And um, I don't know about how that impacts you, but for me, it gives me some sort of twisted comfort. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm mortal, you're mortal, and when it's time for her daddy to, to be called home, there's a number. And the Lord knew it, and he knew it before he was knitted in his mother's womb, and his number is coming. And so the sovereign, the Lord does the things the sovereign Lord does, right? Amen? And then one other thing before I, I, I start this is I'm just way too immature not to deal with something, because I just realized, I mean, we have some guests here via Skype, right? Yeah. So is it working? So, oh, good. Why should I even ask that question, right? So Wayne and, and Carol Gooch. Wayne's, uh, Wayne's been in the hospital for a while, and he's, uh, he's doing really well, and he's recovering, and he's here for service. Um, so hi, Wayne. Everybody say hi to Wayne. Hi, Wayne, hi, Wayne and Carol. I can't stand not doing this, so I suppose. Hi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yes, you have an immature pastor. It's the way it goes. Pray for me and with me and just get used to it. So today's uh, the 11th. You know, I want to dip into chapter 11 of Proverbs for just something quick. So verse 25 says this. Be generous and you'll be prosperous. Help others and you will be helped. That's a good one. It's not better than the one that I heard in the memory verse this morning, but that's a good one. Hey, guys, now help me out with this. Um, There are two kinds of movies, right? There are chick flicks and there are good movies, right? (laughs) And so today, <laughs> you know, all real men don't mind a good chick flick, but don't, do not, don't you dare cry during a chick flick or they're, turn in your man card. Um, but, you know, guys like guy movies, we, you know, Lisa and I talk about this. She says, what are, you know, what's the difference between a chick flick? Well, if it's got an explosion and a chase scene, it's a man movie, I suppose. And, Huh? okay or star trek same thing okay so we have a star trek corner over here this morning um star trekkies uh, which i'm a member of so um we're going to be we're starting a new series today and we're going to be talking for four weeks and examining the life of samson and samson is is a is a man's man and he had some prolific wonderful legends about him and he had some equally prolific failures and um, so this is going to come across, ladies, I'll just tell you right now that the tone of this, this examination is going to be a little bit masculine because we're going to talk about guy stuff, what guys do and how they react. But I'm not leaving you out. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit's going to come along for the ride. Actually, I'm riding along with the Holy Spirit, I hope. And I'm sure that you're going to find the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking to you as well. And I just want to say this to you, ladies. This isn't just two men who are adults. But this is about the future men among us, the future men that you're going to shape as mothers or women in your lives. And so um, I hope that you won't just blow past some of the things that are kind of man-isms that we talk about today. So influence, influence is going to be there. So guys, what I want to say to you before we dive in too much is that there is some supernatural greatness that's in you if you're a follower of Christ. It's in you. It's there. And if you'll make a commitment to be in the Lord's presence and have your heart available to what he wants to say to you on this topic over the next several weeks, I'm telling you he's going to change your world. He will change your world. 
I believe that you will see some new levels of character, some new levels of strength, some new levels of resolve, some new levels of dependability. Things will rise up in you that will become a blessing to the people in your life. Your wife, your kids, your family, your friends, your boss, your workers, co-workers. And the reason that this is a big deal is that historically, the world has been a little bit short on godly men. Sad fact. If you look at the churches across America, there is a tilt towards the feminine. I don't mean in expression, but in presence. Women. More women than men, typically, in churches. And in a lot of places, um, there aren't a lot of men who lead. And so there's been this historical need. So I want to look into that a little bit. And uh, I, you know, they're, 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 we're not going to spend time in the book of Ezekiel, but, but there is a passage in there that I think is one of the saddest verses in the whole of, of the word of God. And the, 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 the quick context is that the Lord is basically just thinking, you know, come on. My, you, you, I've blessed this nation, but you continually turn away from me, you continually turn away from me, continually turn away from me, and you can't do that forever. The consequences are catching up to you right now. And the Lord is looking for only one guy to stand in the gap. So a uh, quick dip into Ezekiel 22, verse 30. It says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. He's speaking about prayer. This is, not, this is not like Nehemiah, the wall we were just talking about. This is someone who would build up a spiritual wall by plugging it with their own prayer life. Uh, on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. Zero. Not one man would stand in the gap. You know, today he might say it in different terms. He might say, I'm looking for a man of integrity or a man of courage, or for those who will stand up for those who can't speak for themselves, or for those who would be willing to serve their bride the way Christ laid his life down for the church. God would be looking for that, for a man who would speak truth spiritually to the next generation and um, stand in the gap. Now, I truly believe that if God was on that hunt in this room, he wouldn't find none. He'd find many. Because I know you, and I know that you stand in the gap, and I know that you're men that do these things. Um, but there is still this great need. There's this guy named Henry Varley who was a very close friend of D.L. Moody. Now, you may not know who D.L. Moody is. You've probably heard his name before. He was this prolific evangelist um, years and years and years ago. And um, he ended up going to Britain, and he was this traveling evangelist. And in his time while he was in, in Great Britain, four million people flocked to his his meetings to hear the gospel and he had a profound impact um, on the world and he still does today but he had this close friend and, and before moody became prolific as an evangelist this guy says to him it remains to be seen what god will do with a man who will give himself over wholly unto god one man would give himself it remains to be seen the world hasn't seen it yet and that really challenged dl moody and he decided, you know, God, if you're looking for a guy who will be a man of integrity or honor or courage, I'm going to try and be such a man. Amazing. Today we're going to start a new series on the life of Samson. And just FYI, if you feel like you want to read a little bit about this at home, Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16 tell the story. It's an amazing story. You can sit down and read it in, in a few minutes. Um, and it's, it's a rich 
It's a rich place to go. It's amazing that there haven't been more movies, guy movies, made, or even chick flicks, because I think this one could be both. And as we go through the life of Samson, we're going to take a look, a good hard look, at some attitudes that will take and make a strong man weak. We're going to figure out what happened to this guy. You know, his, his accomplishments are legendary. So are his weaknesses. He had so much God-given potential. Yet his repeated decisions caused him to self-destruct. If I could summarize his life in one statement, I'd say this. Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Like so many of us guys, you know, we have such great potential and strong and wonderful spiritual strength is, is possibly, but there's this dangerous weakness that can derail the good fruit. Um, I want to get you into the context of where we're going to go. The, the people of Israel had been unfaithful to God and repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. It was at one of those places, so God put them under the rule of the Philistines, who were their enemies. Now, um, I'm going to step out of the, the mainstream of the message and go on one of my little rabbit trails. I'm going to take one today, and I planned this one. Um, and, and the reason is because I've used the word Philistines, and you can't imagine how many times people say to me, the Philistines, how is that different than the Palestinians? Okay, so I mean, a lot of people are confused by that, so I'm just going to take a minute and answer that question. It comes up a lot because the, the phrase Palestinian is in our news constantly, okay? Now, this might come across to you like I'm going to take a political streak. I'm not. I'm going to just kind of clear up this this difference, but it is a political topic in, in our news today. So um, uh, this historical clarification, the Philistines were not the descendants. They're not the, the, excuse me, the ancestors of the Arabs that live in the land today. The word literally means sea peoples. It was probably a, a, a word that was coined by the Egyptians. Um, they were probably from Crete or, or, or from the, the Aegean Sea, the islands of the Aegean Sea. And they were known in the time they actually invaded Egypt, and they were called the Sea Peoples. And they arrived in the land of Canaan, which and was be the southern coastal part, about the same time that the children of Israel arrived. And um, so, so, so what does the term Palestinian mean? Well, um, that's a, in terms of history, a relatively new uh, phrase that was uh, th- that's being used. Um, you may have heard of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and that's a group that pur- purported to represent that group of peoples. It was, it was formerly chairman. The chairman was a guy named Yasser Arafat. He's he's passed away now, but he, as an example, was born in Egypt and moved to Jerusalem. In fact, since the Oslo Accords, which was a political agreement that happened in the 90s, where there was some final recognition about the right of the nation of Israel to exist. Um, since that time, about 400,000 people, Arabs from every Arab nation you can mention, have moved into that into the West Bank area, 400,000. And in that time, the Arabs have built about 261 settlements. It's actually higher numbers than that by now, but um, the study that I looked at said 261 in the West Bank alone since 1967. Now, we don't hear a whole lot about those settlements. The settlements that we tend to hear about are the ones that were, are being erected and constructed by the, the nation of Israel right now. And uh, they have constructed some 140, 150 uh, settlements, maybe more by now, certainly less. Um, but those are the ones that we tend to hear about because they, they become these points of political flashpoints. 
Um, to put this into context, who's been in this land? And I'm going to come back to the Word of God in just a second here. If uh, I found records from an old travel guide. If you want to go visit Palestine, that area, and this one was published in 1906. Okay, so way before all of the present conflict, way before all the questions. It's just one interesting statistic. At that time, this is a uh, travel guide. Uh, um, at that time, it said, estimated that the population in Jerusalem was about 60,000 people. This is in 1906, 100 years ago. Of those 60,000, 7,000 of them were Muslim. 13,000 were Christians, and 40,000 were Jews. So that's 100 years ago. Now, um, the reason the question comes to me is, well, you know, I don't know why would anybody care about my opinion about voting on issues like that, I suppose, but I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I don't think that's my role. I think my role is to just open up the Word of God, and when it's relevant to a topic, I'm going to help you find out what the Word of God says. So, so here's what I want to say about this. If you want the Lord to bless your nation, which I think is a good thing to pray for. I say, Lord, bless my nation. If you want to, the triggers for him blessing your nation are found in here. Okay? They're found, they're found in here. Here are a couple of them, and I will just read these verses to you. Psalm 122.6 basically says to us, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Little controversy there. You know, we do. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Lord, I pray for that right now. I ask God for your spirit to find something supernatural to let there be peace in that land. Um, I guess that was a little bullet short prayer, but God likes those good that it counts. So here's another one from Genesis. Now this is, uh, this is God... Um, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now, here's the significant part of this. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I believe the last line, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, is a clear reference to the Messiah, to Jesus. But the rest of this is speaking about the nation of Israel. And if you want the Lord to bless your land, your land needs to bless those who the Lord says he wants blessed. You follow that? Now, you and I don't have a whole lot of choices about how our country interacts with the nations in that part of the world. And we certainly don't have any control over the conflicts that happen in one city or another. But we do have a vote to make. And when you stand and when you choose to vote, my suggestion is that if you pray for the Lord to bless your nation on one hand, and yet you're not certain whether who you will vote for will support and bless them or not, that's not wise. So figure that issue out if you want the Lord to bless your country. Okay, so I, I don't mean to tell you who to vote for, and I'm not taking any, any, I'm not going there. I just want to say, clarify, Palestinians and Philistines are not the same thing, okay? <laughs> End of rabbit trail. So, okay, back to the context. The people had been unfaithful, again, for a long period of time. So God put them under the Philistines, and finally he, they had come to the point where God says, okay, I'm going to raise up somebody to help get this delivery process for these people who've been stuck for so long. I'm going to raise somebody up, and that was... was, was uh, 
Samson. So this angel of the Lord appears to this couple who had not been able to have a baby. And he says to him, guess what? You get to have a baby. And that was a pretty major event. First off, socially, for a couple to be barren. I don't know why this is, but, but it was a disgrace upon them, mostly the woman. As if she could have made some other choice. I mean, it's, I, I don't always get why that is. And there's a social stigma. And there's never a reference, or I can't find one in the word that says, well, they were barren and it was the guy who was infertile. But for some reason, the woman always gets blamed. What's up with that, ladies? I mean, come on, what's the deal? I don't know. Anyway, so this angel shows up. And if there was anything this couple were probably praying for, it's like, God, can we have a, can we have a family? Can we have some kids? And an angel shows up and says, yes. You get your prayers answered. And in fact, this guy is going to be special. The Lord says, I'm going to give him some supernatural strength. And, um, but he and you, your family, need to live under the Na- what, are, what are called the Nazarite vows. Now, if you want to study that, you can hop over later on your own time to Numbers chapter 6, and it's explained there. But it's basically this. It's where a person who is not a priest, any ordinary person, can decide to make a vow to God and say, okay, I'm going to commit this part of my life or the rest of my life. You, can, you could set your time, if you wanted to, to serving you, Lord, and they would be literally set apart for the special ministry use by God. And it was venerated, and it was, it was a very clear, uh, it was an honor, and it was a blessing. And the three vows basically were this. No wine, no alcohol, no Coronas, no margaritas, no happy hour, whatever's on draft, no alcohol. Two, don't ever touch anything that's dead. Three, don't get your hair cut. Seems odd. I mean, we, okay, why that? I don't know. We'll come back to that. I don't know a whole lot about what the hairstyle might have been, but you just didn't get your hair cut. But I, I deduce something. If you don't get to cut your hair, we can be certain that it wasn't a mullet. Okay, right? <laughs> There was no dog mullet. There was no dog mullet. (laughs) Oh, TV watchers in the house. Now, there is a proper version of a dog mullet. This is... (laughs) This dog would have been great in the 1980s, don't you agree? This is not my dog even though I do have poodles. And with fear and trepidation and looking over my shoulder, I'd say not even Chuck Norris's mullet would work. Oh, man. No mullets. I'm sure these guys were not wearing mullets. But why the long hair? Why would the, why would the Lord care about the long hair? Well, just as baptism is an outward sign of something inward that's consecrated and going on, or just like I wear a wedding band, that says, I've made a commitment to someone. The long hair was an outward visible sign that he was set apart for God's righteous purposes. And with God's spirit upon him, he had some gigantic power, some strength. At one point, he was able to righteously kill a thousand Philistines. And another time, he was able to tear apart a lion, tear apart. Yet with all of this God-given power, His weak will got him into trouble again and again and again. We're going to watch and see as Samson betrays God for a stupid handful of honey. 
His temper gets the best of him. At another point, he unrighteously kills 30 innocent men because he lost a bet. Over and over, he chases the wrong kind of women, and that lust for women gets him into trouble. Gentlemen, he's just like us. He's got all kinds of potential. And again and again, our own weaknesses sometimes can get us into trouble with stupid living. And um, we see it all the time. I see you know, guys that are very aggressive at work. They're type A personalities. They're t- take charge, get it done leaders. They're yet, yet at home, they're passive. They won't take time to lead their kids. They won't take time to pray with their wife. They're committed in one place, and they're not committed in another. Or I you know, see guys who are committed to their finances, or they're committed to their hobby, or they're committed to you know, their career, but they can't commit themselves to a woman. What's up with that? You know, I, I, I see it. You've probably seen it. I see guys who study everything. They'll spend seven hours on the Internet making sure that they get the exact right tires for the truck or to get the exact right big screen TV but five minutes in the Word of God to build their soul, nah, it doesn't happen so often. And I see men who are, they really love their Lord and they love their wives, but they're stuck in this loop of lust. And it's, um, they're just too afraid to ask for help. There's all this potential and this self-destructive stuff going on with bad decision after bad decision. Why do potentially great men fall apart? What is it? And we're going to see in Samson's life some, some three, at least, very specific attitudes that will make strong men weak. Lust, entitlement, and pride. Lust, entitlement, and pride. So uh, what is lust? Okay. Lust is when a man sees something he desires and he says, I want it. I want it. I'm going to get it. I want it. And when a man falls into a pattern of lust, all logic goes out the window. It's just gone. It just goes right out the window. Could be he wants a woman. He wants a fix. He wants a a sexual thrill, career career advancement, a car, a boat, a home. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. He's going to forget all the logic that he has, and he's going to pursue this thing. Judges 14, 12. So here's Samson. He went down to Timnah and saw there a good-looking young Philistine woman. I assume she's good-looking because he had an issue with women and whatever, but that it comes. When he returned, he said to his father, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. I saw it. I want it. I'm going to get it. So what does he do? He leaves Zorah, which is his hometown. He travels only four miles to Timnah, which is inside the enemy's territory. He left his friends to go over to his enemy's area. And he sees a woman that was forbidden to him because the Lord had said, you shall not intermarry with those who do not worship me. By the way, this is not God being a racist. God created all the races. This is not the Lord saying, don't have interracial marriage. This is the Lord saying, do not become unequally yoked spiritually. There's a good reason for that. You see it time and time again in the word of God where it doesn't only tear apart the relationship, it tears apart the people. But anyway, he, at that moment, he sees this girl. He looks at her. He forgets everything else. I don't care what my God says. I don't care what my dad says. I don't care what my mom says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what's right or what's wise because I saw it and I want it. Give it to me. <laughs> and over and over again, we see how lust makes strong men weak. The second thing we're going to see in him is this sense of entitlement. Not only do I want it, but I believe... I deserve it. I deserve it. 
I deserve it. I've earned it. I work hard. I put up with a lot. I'm special. I like it. Okay, so one day he's going along and this lion jumps out. Now, you might read this and go, ah, no big deal. David dealt with a lion. I've seen him at the zoo. But you only say it's no big deal because you've never been stalked by a lion like I have. Really, truly. Okay, I had an experience where I was out hunting with my pals. I was off by myself. And, uh, of course, I had a, my .30-06 with me just in case it came down to me or the deer. I had to protect myself, right? <laughs> so I'm out, and I'm doing my thing. I can't remember. It might have been elk season. It was cold. And I just remember being by myself, and I'm, I'm quite a ways away. And I started sensing something. I kind of had this sense that I was being stalked. It's kind of odd. It's just that you hear things. You, you, when you're out in the woods a bunch, you know where the sounds are. When you hear something that doesn't belong and it keeps coming from a certain quarter and, you, you know, you start, it's kind of creepy. And it got real creepy when I heard this scream from a cougar. Now, you know, I'm very willing to do a fair fight, straight up fight, me and a cougar. Me on a road, the cougar on the road, me with my 30 out 6 that seems like a fair fight. <laughs> but this cat was sneaking around. And here's the thing about it. Cats talk to each other. They know how I feel about cats. They know I'm a dog guy. It's sneaking up on me and won't show it. So it was creepy. And when that thing screamed, I'm 87% sure I didn't sh- shout out a cuss word. <laughs> But I'm about 100% sure I might have thought one. Okay, so anyway, it scared me. So Samson comes upon this line. He tears it apart barehanded. Wow, that's pretty major. Um, Judges 8 or 14 says, Sometime later, when he went back to marry this girl, he turned aside. That's often when we start to get in trouble, by the way, when we turn aside, when we change course, to look at the lion's carcass. So now we've got this ripped up dead lion there. And in it was a swarm of bees and some honey. And he scooped with his hands the honey, and he ate it as he went along. (laughs) That's nasty. (laughs) It's just nasty. But guys do nasty stuff. I mean, (laughs) but what was he not supposed to do? He was not, right, he was not supposed to touch anything that was dead. The same God that gave him the power to tear the thing apart, he betrays. He betrays the God who blessed him with supernatural strength. For what? A handful of honey. Who would be stupid enough to betray God for a handful of money? The answer is men do it every single day. We do. We do. We betray the God who's blessed us for stupid, sinful things, for things that only turn around and hurt us and harm us. Lust as I want it. Entitlement as I deserve it. And the third attitude is pride. We as men think, well, I can handle this. I'm strong. I can handle it. Remember the vows. Don't cut your hair. Don't touch dead things. Don't drink alcohol. Okay, so what does Mr. I'm strong, I can handle it guy do? Okay, so let's look and see Judges 14.10. Now his father went down to see the woman. So they're planning the wedding. And Samson made a feast there as was customary for bridegrooms. Now, it sounds like, you know, they got some Kentucky Fried Chicken and some French fries, and they were going to have some rolls and so forth. But the word feast here is mista, and what it actually means is drink 
or drinking, as in drinking alcohol. Let me translate this for you. Samson planned a keg party. Okay? He's pulling off a kegger. So he's gotten item one off the list. He's gotten item two, and here we goes. Call my buddies, get a keg, because I can handle it. I can handle this. And it happens to strong men over and over again. God has given him this potential to do great and just amazing things, bring glory to his name, yet we think, I'm, I'm, I want it, I'm strong, I deserve it, and I can handle it. I want it, I deserve it, and I can handle it. I want it, I deserve it, and I can handle it. And off we go. And I don't know what it would be for you. It could be any number of things, guys. But for Samson, who is this man with such great potential, and he thinks, I want, I deserve, I handle it. And before you know what happens, instead of him handling it, a substance is now handling him. I want the boat. I want the car. I want the toy. I deserve it. I can handle the payments. And then before long, we're struggling with debt that we can't afford and this sea of, I can't get out of this. And he wants something, and then his lust takes him on this downward spiral. And then we can look ahead here and see where this whole story ends. He was probably a man who was the strongest man who had ever lived. From birth, he had God's hand of blessing upon him, and he ends up, his eyes were gouged out. Instead of having vision, he had nothing but dark sockets. A man with no vision. Figuratively, it's not good because hope comes from vision. Dark sockets. He was the strongest man that ever lived and here he was bound up and his prized hair was cut off of him and he was tied up in front of his enemies. 3,000 people were mocking him and making fun of him. He was a total laughing stop. And that is exactly what lust and entitlement and pride will do to a guy. It takes us down. Now, Terry, are you telling me that if I don't get my issues together with lust and entitlement and pride, that somebody's going to gouge my eyes out. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it could actually be way worse than that. It could be way worse than that. You could find yourself in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s looking back at a failed marriage and saying, oh my God, most of that was my fault. And now here I am looking back with regret. Or, or you could find yourself... And I watch this, and it's heartbreaking. You could find yourself at Christmas time, and your kids don't want to be with you because they no longer respect you because of the decisions you've made. Or other things that probably you can think of. Because that's where the sin that's involved here leads us. But here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. It doesn't have to go down that way. So glad it does not have to go down that way. Because if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to know that there is spiritual greatness within you. It's in you guys, if you're a follower of Christ. And that's what I believe this crowd is. By the way, thank you for the opportunity for salvations. It was really on the button, and I think it spoke to souls. With God's power, no matter what your past, guys, no matter what you've been into, you can be transformed and you can be new. You can make a difference. You can be a man of courage. You can be a man of spiritual strength. You can defend the defenseless. You can speak for those who can't speak for themselves. You can become a dispenser of mercy and grace. You may be the John Wayne of your world, and no one will ever expect that from you. And you can become the one that they come to because they just need some mercy. 
That can be you. If you'll stop trying to be strong in your own strength. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, loves to make strong men weak. But our good and loving God loves to make weak men strong. And our God is with you guys and he's for you. Will you be man enough to say, I'm weak and I need his strength and his presence? Because God specializes in making weak men strong. I think uh, Satan wants to take you out. He wants to shame you. He wants you to get you to waste you, the gifts that the Lord gives you on stupid stuff. But God wants to redeem you and lift you and build you up. That's who our, our God is. There, those, these attitudes that make strong men weak, I want it, I deserve it, and I can handle it. But I want to give you real quickly, and we're done, three attitudes that make weak men strong. Instead of saying, I want it, you say, I want God. I need God. I want God. I need his daily power. I need his word living in me. I need his strength. I need the Lord ordering my steps every day. Now, you may encounter tough guys at work that say to you, ah, religion and God is just a crutch for the weak. You need to look back back at them and say, yeah, I need God. (laughs) I need God. Okay, the second one is, I deserve it? No. The attitude that will make a weak man strong is, I deserve death. (laughs) The wages of sin are death. That's the payment that's required because of what we deserve for our sinfulness against the holy God. It's death. It's what we deserve. We don't, we're not entitled to anything. God, you owe me. No, God doesn't owe us anything. Actually, what he does owe us, we don't want. We deserve death. And when we realize that we're already dead in our transgressions, except for the fact that a loving God in mercy decided, no, I'm going to still make a way for that sinner Terry and I'm going to send my most precious son to make that way it makes me become humble before the Lord and I think you know I don't have to serve you God I want to serve you why? because I need God because I need God when other strong men say I can handle it you're going to say I can't handle anything without God I need God I deserve death I can't handle anything without God. The men that can change the world are the ones that admit their needs to God. If you think you're going to be strong without God, then you're going to find the enemy loves to take you down, but God loves to make weak men strong. It's his spirit and it's his power that's going to develop that spiritual greatness in you guys. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. I want to say these things. You can be that man. Courage strength, integrity. Defend those who are defenseless, a man after God's own own heart. And you'll never, though, be that man in your own strength because God loves to make weak men strong. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 19, in our weakness, his power is made perfect. Let's pray. God, today we have really had the benefit of seeing and learning from the mistakes of someone you anointed. God, the end doesn't sound so good. Um, And God, I know that as I 
talk about these issues and these failures for Samson that I'm really also talking about and you're talking about things that in this room you want to touch and make whole. So God, as we start down this process in examining the life of Samson, as we launch out today with these challenges, I pray, Lord, that you would build the hearts of your men. That men in this room right now who would be hearing something that would be condemning, which is from hell, the God, that you would stop that because you're, you, you would stop that from being, from, from, stop that attack, Lord, I pray, because your word says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And where your spirit would nudge us and say, come on, come on, Terry. Come on, let's get this together. I'm going to give you the strength if you'll only lean on that instead of your own. God, I just want to, I want to hear those things. <laughs> I just pray that the men in this room and, and the women who need to hear that, Lord, would be saying that too. I pray, God, and I want to thank you, Lord, for the fact that you're so merciful. The children just failed time and time and time again. And even after that, and they didn't deserve it, you continued to send solutions to them. Thank you that that's how you treat us, your, your loving kids. I pray, Lord, too, over um, people in this room today. We didn't really have a time, God, to, to, to bring needs before you, but I want to just pause for just a moment and do that. So, Lord, I just pray for the, the needs that are present in this room. First, I want to talk about physical healing from sickness or injury. Lord, whether it's in this room or somewhere else and listening, I pray, God, for the grandest of your, of your plans to be poured out for your kids, for the grandness of, of wholeness, mm-hmm. for the grandness of perfection, mm-hmm. for strength to be returned, for correctness of muscles, for strengthening in hearts, yes, Lord. Lord, for other organs. And God, where there is the root of cancer that's anywhere in a physical body, I curse that in the name of Jesus and I speak and I say, wither and die in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray to the author of life and I ask, Lord, for something of life to be sprinkled upon your kids. Thank you, Lord, that this morning you are breathing the breath of life into us in this room. Thank you for that, Jesus. God, I want to pray for um, financial needs that are here, for those that are still trying to find a way to earn a living. God, I pray for that, uh, for those doors to be open. Your word also promises us something. It says that when we trust you with our tithes, that you will rebuke the devourer. So God, I pray that you will keep the devourer's tentacles off of our transmissions and our things that break at home and, you know, biting down on something and chipping it to all of those things, Lord. Rebuke the devourer and protect us. That's part of what you promise and we know, God, you're faithful to your promises. But I also ask you to open doors. There are people here, Lord, that need to have an offer for a job. Open doors, Lord. Lord, Not the kind we shove through, but the kind that the king opens and says, enter into my blessing, son and daughter. I pray for that. Mm -hmm. And now, Lord, I pray for points of discouragement. Mm -hmm. That where there is discouragement or even hopelessness present, I pray, Lord, that you would pour it in. That you would show every soul here what you are seeing and thinking about our tomorrows, about our future and our hope. And I thank you, Lord, that you do that. Fill this place, Lord, with your presence in Jesus' name.